0: Yeah, she's a master, my compliments.
1: 25th, my
0: friends.
1: I'm Critch and you are tuned into Canadian Patriot Radio. No shortage of stuff to talk about this week, my friends. Um, We've got the WHO declaring monkeypox uh, global emergency. Uh, We've got the Liberals in front of hearings uh, trying to CYA, cover their asses on uh, pressuring Brenda Lucky into getting the type of weapons uh, released uh, in the Nova Scotia shooting. Uh, We got Rocco Galati coming back on the scene and we've got Steve Bannon getting uh, south of the line. We got Steve Bannon getting convicted of uh, contempt of Congress. And uh, we're going to go through some digital ID stuff. I told you guys in the last episode that we were gonna get, we were gonna do that. So we will this show because um, anybody that's telling you that they're they've already walked it back or they're not gonna do it, they have no idea what they're talking about. They are full stream ahead with this, and they're gonna bring it in this fall, and they want it to be completely engaged by December of this year. But let's turn first of all over to the monkeypox, the next pandemic, as it appears to be. Uh, Ramping up, which is monkeypox. Now, this article comes to us by way of the Epoch Times, and the title reads, Canada confirms 681 monkeypox cases as WHO declares global emergency. This is by Isaac Tao, and it was written today, July 25, 2022. A total of 681 cases of monkeypox have been confirmed across five provinces in Canada. While the numbers are expected to rise as the World Health Organization has declared a public emergency of international concern amid the global virus outbreak. The Public Health Agency of Canada said in a July 23rd statement that it is coordinating with provinces and territories and the international community in response to the situation. PHAC continues to work closely with international provinces and territorial health partners to gather information on, the, on this evolving outbreak and to assess the possible risk of exposure of monkeypox virus in Canada," the statement said. Canada will continue to work with the WHO and international partners to strengthen the global response to the current monkeypox outbreak. Monkeypox is a zoonotic infectious disease usually found in parts of Central and West Africa that can also infect humans in rare cases. Its transmission is usually associated with exposure to infected animals or contaminated materials, according to a statement issued by PHAC on May 19th. The first two cases of monkeypox ever reported in Canada were identified in Quebec in May. By June 10th, a total of 112 confirmed cases were identified in four provinces, namely Quebec, Alberta, Ontario, and BC. Since July 1st, we have also seen a doubling of cases to date. The first case, The first case in a female and the first cases in Saskatchewan, PHAC said. Uh, The emergency declaration lacks consensus. On July 23rd, the WHO declared the monkeypox outbreak a global emergency, saying there are now more than 16,000 reported cases across 75 countries and territories. A global emergency is the WHO's highest level of alert, but the designation does not necessarily mean a disease is particularly transmissible or lethal. WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, criminal, genocide, ah, don't get me started on this guy, made the decision on calling monkeypox a global emergency despite a lack of consensus among experts on the UN Health Agency's emergency committee, saying he acted as a, he acted as a tiebreaker. Well, of course he's going to go for this. <laughs> it was the first time a UN Health Agency chief has unilaterally made such a decision without an expert recommendation. We have an outbreak that has spread around the world rapidly through new modes of transmission and which we understand too little and which meets the criteria of international health regulations, he said in July, in a July 23rd statement. I know this has not been an easy straightforward process and there are divergent views among members. PHAC said over 70,000 doses of IVAMUNE, a Health Canada-approved vaccine recommended by the National Advisory Committee on Immunization Against Monkeypox, has been distributed to provinces and territories by the federal government to date. To limit the spread of the virus, the federal health agency uh, recommended staying home and limiting contact with others should a person develop symptoms. Oh, there we go. Yeah, it's going to be a lockdown. Other recommendations include avoiding close physical contact with someone who is infected with or may have been exposed to the virus, maintaining good hand hygiene, and cleaning high-touch surfaces. PHAC will continue to provide regular public updates as new information becomes available, the federal agency said. Hmm. So, here we go again. Now, they've got two, they've got basically two pandemics in play, and you know they've just basically given themselves a the summer off. And uh, now that it's getting, you know, we're getting into August here, um, they're going to start ramping up. They're going to they're up, they're up their fear porn, their fear campaigns. They're going to try to get everybody back on board. Um, there's already people lining up for this monkeypox virus, which is just another mRNA disaster from what I can tell. They, uh, from what I understand, the actual old uh, smallpox uh, vaccine that is actually a real conventional vaccine would work just fine for this. But no, they're going to go to an mRNA, um, probably graphite infused. Fucking, <laughs> they're going to go down this path again. Now, now that they they still have COVID in play too, none of them have let go of that. Especially here in Canada, um, you know Trudeau is just not going to let go of it. He's got he's it's made him a multi millionaire. The fact that he was probably tipped off and and. And uh, told to buy shares into specific companies in BC that were creating lipid nanoparticles that bypassed your cells and got their crap into your system, and uh, we are also learning that it now gets into your DNA. That's undeniable. Of course, the mainstream media isn't covering it, but uh, <clears throat> I guess I guess realistically, for any of the listeners of this show, this is no surprise. We knew we knew they were going to do this again. Uh, they were going to give us the summer off. Um, I heard a great analogy it's, it's, uh, today. Um, it's, it's basically similar to uh, uh, drowning of, uh, or, or forcing someone's head underwater. Um, you, you got all winter where you can just basically force their head underwater and then come summer you just let them have a breath of air. That's what they're doing. With us, uh, they're just playing with our freedoms. Every time we give, we give into this and and cave to it. They're stripping more and more and more. They're getting dangerously close to getting this digital ID through. Um, it's really going to take peaceful non-compliance, and it's going to take more than just us. It, it's going to take more than the first round of people that said no. And hopefully, <clears throat> hopefully enough have been aw- awakened by the first round. Um, those that that you know for whatever reason they decided to get the globalist shots. Uh, now are saying enough. They need to. We need them to. We absolutely have to have these people on board or these people will run the mill with us again. So, it is my sincere hope uh, that those that, uh, you know, bought into the first narrative are definitely not going to buy into the second narrative. Now, we still don't know are they going to go with monkeypox or are they going to go with COVID? And I think that's intentional. They want to keep us confused at this point. They might throw both, both fronts at us. Uh, this this come this fall and I that wouldn't surprise me either the more they can confuse us the more they're That's what they're the, the route that they're gonna take right so we don't know which way we're getting hit uh, I would imagine it's just going to ramp up in every like as you can tell shootings are ramping up There's another shooting in uh, this time in Langley BC it looks like it's gang related um, Probably illegal firearms um, once they figure that out. They probably it'll probably uh, disappear from the news cycle uh, but if it's a gang-related shooting, that means it's probably smugg- a, a firearm smuggled from the U.S. That probably has no serial numbers, and um, it'll just dis- disappear from the uh, news cycle until they can uh, fabricate another one, like they did in Nova Scotia. Now, <clears throat> I don't mean to piss anybody off with that statement, but it's the shooter is known to police. He's he's a he's a known contact. He was paid out by the RCMP. This is undeniable. They never did explain that. Um, we're going to be going through this the hearing today, uh, where. Uh, to, uh, Minister Blair uh, just lied through his teeth through the whole thing. We'll go through quite a bit of that today, so you can hear um, <clears throat> the questions being thrown at him. Quite good questions, I, I might add. Uh, Raquel, uh, Raquel uh, I forget her last name from the Conservatives is doing a great job. Uh, so we'll go through some of that. And uh, but once we uh, once we come back from the opening, I think we'll just stick on this and we'll and we'll we'll basically stay focused on where all these pandemics are taking us, which is the uh, digital ID. All right, my friends, with that being said, we'll be right back. Welcome, friends, to Canadian Patriot Radio, where conspiracy is not theory and political corruption finds the spotlight. PR, we are committed to upholding Canadians' God-given rights to life, liberty, and freedom with all thy sons. Okay, welcome back my friends. Uh, let's stay on point here. Um, I've actually got a, it's a newsletter um, from the D- DIACC, which is the Digital ID and Authentication Council of Canada. Uh, this was written on August 3rd, 2021. <clears throat> um, their address, if any of you are interested, is 720 King Street, King Street West, 302 Toronto, Ontario. <laughs> they probably don't want that out there. <clears throat> Okay, so what is this digital ID, and what where are they going with it in Canada? So let's—I uh, got to read this off my phone because off off uh, the computer, it's 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 literally like the font or the font is so small that you can't read it, and that's probably intentional too. So bear with me because there might be a bit of gaps here. I, I got to uh, basically magnify it and and uh, scroll over as I'm reading. So. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Okay, Digital Economy. The DIACC partners with HTF on recommendations for trusted and safe adoption of Digital ID Toronto June 7, 2022. The Digital ID and Authentication Council of Canada is excited to announce its partnership with the Human Technology Foundation on a trusted citizen-centric digital identity adoption. The purpose of the project is to to develop a white paper for the fall of 2022 that will provide recommendations to uh, Canadian and European policymakers on ongoing projects, with the common goal of unlocking secure, equitable access to the global digital economy. At a time when digital advancements are accelerating rapidly, policy modernization has the opportunity to enable people businesses, and governments with access to digital ID verification solutions and services that are designed to empower people with security, privacy, and accountability. (laughs) Bullshit! (laughs) Control, control, control. This is what that should read. It Empower governments with control, control, control over their citizens. Let's carry on. Although multiple Canadian provinces have either launched or made investments in digital ID products and services, federal funding and... uh, Cohesive leadership remains the missing piece. Notably, in June of 2021, the European Commission proposed a trusted and secure digital ID framework for all European citizens. This highly anticipated project will begin with executive international insights from a uh, DIACC special investment group, along with renowned HTF Advisory Board. Both parties pride themselves on shared values for trusted social and people-centered benefits of digital ID. The D I A C C is known for their core values of privacy, security and choice to empower all Canadians to participate in the global digital economy uh, confidently and safely choice. It's right there in their own newsletter choice. There won't be a choice. They're going to uh, either you're on board or you're not, you're not a part of society. That's exactly where this is going. So it's neat that they, they use all this wording in here, knowing that people like you and me are going to find and read it. Uh, this highly anticipated project will begin with the, ex- uh, with Executive International Insights, um, who read all that before, sorry, like I said, this one's a little bit trickier to read. Okay, the HDF leverages experts, expert thought leadership, um, to identify technology solutions that will lead to a more respectful society. Oh, so they give you hints in, with their wording, respectful society. So if you are, let's say, um right of center in your thinking and you take to social media and you say that this liberal government is nothing but a bunch of fascists like i like to do regularly um, then i'm not part of that respectful society that would that would uh, start dropping my social credit score and i would find myself without a driver's license unable to buy fuel or food that's exactly where this is going so they give you hints in here and we can read right between the lines They pride themselves on placing human intention at the core of all interdisciplinary research projects. Ooh, listen to that wording. They pride themselves on placing a a human intention at the core of all interdisciplinary research projects. So they flat out tell you that all your behaviors will be rewarded or disciplined. Like, Like, do you need another set of parents? Do you need the government to be looking over your shoulder in everything that you do, my friends? Do you need that? I don't think so. But these people do. The DIACC and the HDF are compromised of people designing solutions for people. Both organizations are proud to declare uh, their resulting white paper as free publicly uh, publicly available resource upon completion. Members of both the DIACC and HDF communities who wish to review and share insights about the draft uh, SIG Project Charter may sign up here. Okay. About the DIACC. DIACC is, gro- is a growing coalition of public and private sector organizations who are making a significant and sustained effort to ensure Canada's full secure and beneficial participation in the global digital economy. By solving challenges and leveraging opportunities, Canada has has a chance to secure at least 3% of unrealized GDP or, 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 or excuse me, or 100 billion of potential growth by 2030. Seizing this opportunity is a must in digital, in a digital society as we worked through the COVID pandemic challenges. About the HTF, the Human Technology Foundation, created in 2012, is a foundation, but also a research and action network placing the human being at the heart of technology development. For them, these technologies are also part of the solution for building a society that is more respectful of everyone. Uh The Human Technology Foundation network has, has several thousand members and operates in Paris, Montreal, and Geneva. Indeed, if most technologies are neither good nor bad in themselves, they are not neutral either. They carry intentionally and they carry intentionally and a vision of the human being that must be questioned. From this perspective, the Human Technology Foundation is striving to put technology back at the heart of social debates. -hmm. <laughs> Canada's trusted ID leader, the DIACC, welcomes budget 2022 investments for their digital transformation and Canadian innovation. Toronto, uh, April 7th, 2022. Joni Brennan. Joni Brennan. Uh, Any relation to John Brennan? I wonder. Joni Brennan, President of the Digital Identification and Authentication Council of Canada released a statement following the tabling of the federal budget today. The DIACC welcomes the federal government's investment for digital transformation and Canadian innovation to enable a thriving digital economy announced in today's budget. We have seen throughout the pandemic the heightened role digital services have played in supporting Canadians. However, The disruptive events here in Canada and abroad, including the misinformation and cyber attacks surrounding it, underscore the need to protect our citizens and businesses. Core to that safety is privacy, security and choice in how citizens and businesses across Canada share personal information online. That's why a safe and secure digital ID ecosystem is essential for the post-pandemic economy recovery. Oh, this is just straight up bullshit. These people live in their own d- bubble. Like they 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 cater to each other and they don't think that anybody is smart enough to, to read through the to read between the lines here and see what this actually is. There is no, you know, realistically, there is no privacy online. You can get all the all the uh antivirus stuff that you want, but if you saw the Vault 7 leaks that ended up um <clears throat> getting people killed and imprisoned, then you know damn well that they've already lost control of an AI algorithm that um, has infected wirelessly every digital platform and computer and phone on the planet. So it, it's it's already too late. It's too late for that. And it was b- made by the CIA. <laughs> We've gone through that uh, quite a few shows ago, but I, I just get a kick out of people how people think that they have any security online. They don't. You really don't. If someone, if someone has the ability to uh, basically crack encryption, they can get everything of yours. And it's not necessarily them that, them that you have to be worried about. We now know through Tory that um, <clears throat> uh, Twitter and Facebook are basically government-ran. Not that that wasn't, a, that wasn't really a surprise, um, but that's why Elon Musk isn't buying or is having trouble buying Twitter because he realized it's a government agency. Well, it's the same thing with Facebook. You remember the... Uh, <clears throat> the Department of Defense or was it the FBI I can't remember exactly the details now but LifeLog they had created I think it was the FBI had created LifeLog and it went offline the same time that Facebook came online it's a government creation Mark Zuckerberg is nothing but a front man and I don't even think he's human you guys have heard me say that before I think he's actually like a, a android I don't even think he's human at all which is you know we could go right down a rabbit hole there but we're talking about digital currency so I can't go completely haywire here Okay, let's carry on here. A digital identity is a, is a highly personal yet critical component to both serve and protect Canadians. We must have a clear path forward on how uh, Canada's public and private sectors can work together to build a trusted platform that protects our digital identities. We know that an effective, safe and secure digital ID ecosystem will save manual operation costs and reduce fraud, saving an estimated $482 million for provincial and federal governments and $4.5 billion for private sector organizations. Where do they even come up with these numbers? Where do they even come? Like that's just, what does it matter? You're already handing out billions of dollars to um, foreign countries uh, labeled as foreign aid that we all know is a money laundering scheme. So what does it matter if we save money? It's, it's it's a fake fiat currency. Who cares? Who gives a shit? <laughs> Personally, nobody nobody now on our level of awake gives a rip. Not woke, awake. <laughs> uh, today's budget announcements keeps the import- uh, importance of secure and privacy uh, protecting digital IDs in our windows and more uh, work needs to be done to develop this path based on citizen consent. Ooh, there you go. There's the big one. That's the first one. That's the very first one. What does that tell you? This work needs to be done to develop. Uh, work needs to be done to be develop this path based on citizen consent, control, and trust. So if we don't consent, we don't have to worry about this. But there's just so many people that go along with the narrative. But like I said in the pre-show, we've got to start getting people to wake up to what is actually happening. Uh, we look forward to collaborating with the government on consultations to support these imperative next steps while finding ways to combat misinformation that surrounds it. We are pleased to see the Government of Canada maintaining the momentum on its commitment to work towards a common and secure approach for a trusted digital ID platform to support uh, seamless service delivery to Canadians across the country. Okay, now I gotta find, I'm just gonna have to scroll down here. Okay, DIACC's written submission for the pre-budget consultation in advance of the 2022 budget. Ahead of the 2022 uh, uh, 2022 federal budget, the House of Commons uh, Standing Committee on Finance has asked Canadians to share their input. Uh, DIACC is pleased to have submitted a brief calling on the federal government uh, to implement the following recommendations. That the government secure adoption of the Pan-Canadian Trust Framework by uh, businesses and governments. That the government act on the Finance Committee's 2021 pre-budget consultation recommendation 128, implementing a digital identity system that empowers Canadians to control their data that is held by the federal government and 129 create a national data strategy. That the government work with the uh, Provincial and Territorial Partners and Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada to ensure that all Canadians have access to an ISO-compliant, government-issued, digital ID credential with economy-wide utility by December uh, 2022. That the government make digital ID identity-enabled services available to all Canadians by December 2022. Uh, that the government prioritize funding and integration of digital ID as a part of the Digital Technology Supercluster Initiative. The key to unlocking an inclusive digital economy, investing in digital ID. To restart the economy and deliver inclusive services to all Canadians, governments must have, must invest in unlocking digital. Digital ID empowers Canadians with the choice to safely share their existing credentials, example passport, driver's license and health cards for digital transactions investing in digital id offers economic benefits to citizens businesses and governments and also establishes digital tools to support uh, societal trust security privacy and fraud mitigation this is a win for all Uh, right you know how do i how come i feel like that this is exactly what the chinese were told uh before their sent sent um social credit system came in but they were they were told they weren't asked and it really appears like we're being told as well so the, the illusion of a democratic society has basically diminished over the last two years there's very few people that think that we still live in a, in a democracy uh trudeau's behavior during the trucker convoy was just clearly evident that we don't but um you know, this This is just horrifying, actually, to read, because they they just think that you and I are not smart enough to make up our own minds, um, but they've got to get around that consent. Being that that was the first thing that they mentioned, that was very interesting to see that. Okay, a few budget items have the potential to impact every government initiative. Digital ID is one investment with broad impacts and encompassing benefits. Digital ID offers service improvements across all government services and priority areas. This initiative has the potential to empower individuals, increase government effic- efficiency, strengthen companies, and unite communities across the country with secure access to resources, economic development, trust, and support. Canadians understand the potential. There they go speaking for us again, just like the Liberals do. The pandemic has been an intense and polarizing experience, leading many Canadians to lose faith in institutions. The Edelman Trust Barometer reports that 46% 46 believe that the government leaders purposefully misled them. At the same time, Canadians are relying more on technology with the digital sector growing 3.5% in 2020, while the economy as a whole shrunk by 5%. With digital transformation happening across the country, Canadians are aware Uh, that online privacy is crucial. A recent poll from the Office of the Privacy Commissioner of Canada reports that 89% of Canadians are concerned about people using information about them online to steal their identity. How can the government build trust, enhance privacy, and demonstrate that citizens' rights are top priority? The answer is clear. 9 in 10 Canadians are supportive of a digital ID. What the fuck? No, we aren't. Who did you actually... Who did you interview... Oh, my God. Citizen-centric standards aligned digital ID offers an ecosystem that reopens doors closed by the pandemic and, and unlocks entirely new paths to economic resiliency, cohesion, and social trust. Listen to these people tell themselves lies that they believe. But anyway, <clears throat> there's a whole bunch of recommendations here. What I'll do is I will put this uh I will put this into the Telegram room. I'm, I'll probably post it even to Facebook as well, so you guys can see this. Um, this this is full stream ahead, my friends. This is the line in the sand. Uh, if it wasn't if it wasn't the pan uh, the the pandemic, then it's got to be this. It has to be. Canadians have got to say no. Now, I know this is going to sound completely contradictory to what I'm saying. I I am fully aware that we are going down this path, that eventually this is going to become the norm, but we cannot have globalists in control of this program. We seriously cannot. It will it will be manipulated to control us just like the Chinese. Look into this Chinese social credit score. Like these are the most uh, oppressed people on the planet. Like if we can ever write our upside down clown world, the next thing we got to do is completely get rid of the c- uh, Chinese Communist Party and free the Chinese people or at least help them free themselves. But look at us. We're under the we're under the exact same banner. <clears throat> we understand that we are we aren't free any anymore either. Most of us do. I would say most of us. Maybe I'm falling into that same uh, prediction that I, I did before uh, before Trump, where I, I I used to think that roughly about 65% of Canadians were at some level of awake, and then uh, I didn't mean to say Trump. I meant to say the pandemic. Um, <clears throat> And then the pandemic came along, and look how many people just jumped on the shots. Now I know that there was a lot of coercion, and um, uh, they 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 used a tear-jerk response with some people. Uh, you know, you can't see your your loved ones, and they, they did every dirty trick in the book. They even bribed people to get it. But I'm, um, you know, back to the original point. If that wasn't the line on the line in the sand, then it's got to be this. It has to be the digital idea. If we allow this to happen, my friends, we are fucked. The way the world is right now, if this happens, if this goes through, that's it. That's, that's it. We're fucked. <laughs> and then they won't have to, they will not have to do anything <clears throat> uh, to bring us to our knees. Those of us that are defiant, they can just lock us out of society. I guess at that point, that's when we start a trade and barter society and we say, fuck you. We don't need you. We'll live on our own. And realistically cut them out of everything. <laughs> but you know what they're going to do? They'll come for your house. They'll do everything. We'll see. If we band together, maybe we can fight back. I don't know. I'm just I'm just shooting off the hip here. I don't know how this is going to play out. But uh you know that this these globalist meat puppets that are in control of everything at this point will do whatever they can to silence us and make us disappear. Um you know with two Now we've got not one, but two pandemics basically on the horizon in the fall. I would imagine that the more stringent lockdowns that Dr. Fauci is talking about would involve internment camps. So if you're not vaccinated, they're going to do this again. If you're not vaccinated, this time they're going to come for you and throw you into an internment camp. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that there's going to be some patriots that are going to just say, nope. And there'll be firefights, pockets of resistance, I guess. And that will just give them free reign to just mow over all of us. Like, oh, domestic terrorists, domestic terrorists. That'll be the next big thing that you're hearing all the time if they go forward with it, right? I guess organization on our side is the key to, uh, to fighting back. Now, I, I know I'm going down a dark path. Maybe it won't go that way. Let's hope it doesn't. I'm, I'm going to give it every opportunity that, to see that it doesn't. But we know one thing for sure, that they want to lock us down this fall, and that is exactly what they're going to do. And, this, and you also now know the timeline of this digital ID. Now, I think it's September, October. They're going to start the soft launch of it. And uh, you'll start seeing them say, you know, hey, let's, let's get this aboard. Now, in Saskatchewan, we're a little bit different. Our government says that they stopped everything with a digital ID. And I don't think that's true. I think what they're going to do is they're going to backdoor it and they're gonna just they're gonna uh, probably try to weasel it in through hey don't worry about a card and your driver's license anymore just put this app on your phone just like the arrive can app. here you don't need a driver's license in your wallet anymore just put it on your phone you know that's how they're probably gonna try and sell all this crap to us all we can do is wait and see but the one thing is um, peaceful non-compliance is the only way the only way out of this and we need the numbers we need we need uh, the people that fell for the first pandemic to really stand with us on this one. Okay my friends, what we're going to do next is we're going to turn our attention over to the um, uh, testimony of Min, uh, uh, Bill Blair on the uh, alleged political interference in the no- Nova Scotia excuse me, Nova Scotia massacre investigation. Now this is the hearings um,
2: uh,
1: that uh, Oh, we got Brenda Lucky too. So. Let's listen to what Bill Blair has to say first, um, and then we will, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to edit this so we're, you're just getting, like, the Liberals come in and they throw softballs at them, and the Conservatives throw hardballs at them, and then even the Bloc Québécois threw some hardballs at them, and then we'll switch over and look at Brenda Lucky's. Um, <clears throat> now that i just seen that, we'll see if we even have time for the rest of it. We'll see how long this takes us, but let's let's get into this, my friends, so you guys can hear this lion's sack of shit. We have to wait long for those questions, because they're going to start right now. Uh, opening up this first round, I would now call on Ms. Dancho. You have six minutes, Ms. Dancho. The floor is yours.
3: Whenever you're ready to take it.
4: Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, thank you, Minister, for being with us today. Uh, you or someone from your office was in daily contact with Commissioner Lucky in the immediate days following the Nova Scotia attacks on April 18th and 19th. Correct?
3: I was not in contact with her on a daily basis, but frequently in in the days afterwards, I, I did. I was briefed by uh, Commissioner Lucky.
4: As well as your Chief of Staff and your Deputy Minister were in uh, relatively daily contact with Commissioner Lucky in some capacity? Yes, I assume so. So, would you uh, be comfortable tabling for the committee before next meeting your calendar, your Deputy Minister's calendar, and your Chief of Staff's calendar and phone logs relevant to your communication with commin- Commissioner Lucky? Prior to our next committee meeting, specifically from the dates of April 18th to April 28th, and including April 28th, and that would be for the reason of full transparency of your communications and your office's communications with her.
3: You know, I, I actually have a timeline with me, um, and I'm quite comfortable sharing that. And in, in when I had, when I personally had conversations, um, there, there's, it, a, there's um, a number of different minister, things include, in that timeline. Yeah,
4: the communication from your deputy minister and from your chief of staff with Commissioner Lucky as well?
3: And, and, and again, I'm, I'm more than happy to provide you with a timeline of all my communications on this matter with Commissioner Lucky and with others.
4: Including the Deputy Minister's communications and the Chief of Staff, Zita Astroviz's communications?
3: I don't know if that the inf- Deputy Minister has uh, that information available, so I, I don't want to make a commitment to it, but that's a question certainly you can pose to him.
4: Certainly uh, there would be phone logs of all the calls that they have made. Can you commit to tabling those for the committee before our next meeting of yourself, the Deputy Minister and the Chief of Staff, Zita Astroviz? before our next committee meeting.
3: And, and, again, I don't have direct access to, to, mm-hmm. to those logs, but, but if, if they exist, I, I think if it's very exist, important. If to it. If I may, I, I, I think it's very important that this committee have all the information that Excellent. it requires to make okay. um, an accurate assessment of what transpired.
4: Great. Thank you very much. Uh, just moving on. In a June 28th, 2020 Global Mail article, you were quoted confirming that you did speak to the RCMP about the upcoming OAC ban. When was Commissioner Lucky informed of the May 1st announcement date?
3: Uh, Com- commissioner Lucky had been working with us. But commissioner Luckey, as is, is, is the Commissioner of the RCMP, is responsible for the Canadian Firearms Program. The Canadian Firearms Program, as, as, as it was integral in the, the work Blair, when had,
4: was she informed at the May 1st date of that announcement? Um,
3: and, and, and I don't... I, I, that's a question that would have to be When was the to, May
4: 1st date determined for that announcement? Was it before or after the Nova Scotia attacks? The,
3: the, the date of, of release was determined after the Nova Scotia shooting. Thank you.
4: Uh, you're aware of the email sent by Commissioner Lucky on April 23rd, four days after the attacks to your Chief of Staff, Zita Astravez, containing information your government had requested concerning weapons using the attacks, correct?
3: Yes, I'm aware of it.
4: And you're also aware that the Commissioner's email contained a strong warning that the information must not be shared beyond you and the Prime Minister because it could jeopardize the act of investigation, correct?
3: I'm not only aware of it, but I respected that throughout...
4: And you're aware of the meeting the commissioner called for her and her Nova Scotia officials immediately following the Nova Scotia press conference on April 28th?
3: I was not aware of that. I've subsequently become aware of it uh, through media reports.
4: You're aware that during that meeting the commissioner reprimanded her Nova Scotia deputies for not sharing the information she warned you not to share, correct?
3: I'm, I'm not aware of that. I was not a party to that conversation and I've only read media reports. I've not discussed that in any way with the commissioner.
4: Your office obtained assurances from Commissioner Lucky that the type of weapons used in the shooting would be released to the public at the April 28th press conference, correct?
3: No, that's incorrect.
4: So it was not assured? You had no idea that that was Commissioner Lucky's expectation in that press let, conference?
3: Let me, let me be very clear. At no time did I ask Commissioner Lucky to reveal that information. At no time did I direct um, her in Mr. any way I, in the communications. She mis- did not make mis- any mis- promise to me.
4: I'm not asking if you had asked her, but I'm asking if you were aware of the commissioner, Commissioner's expectation that on that April 28th press conference that that information would be released. Were you aware that that was Commissioner, commissioner Lucky's expectation? No I, no, I was You not. were not aware uh, in a late-night email sent from Commissioner Lucky to your chief of staff and your deputy minister on April 28th following the meeting and the press conference, uh, her email to your deputy and the chief of staff said, without any context whatsoever, that the press conference was, quote, to quote, uh, Commissioner Lucky, not the expectation she uh, execution she was ex- expecting. Again, she said in her email, without further context, that the press conference was, quote, not the execution I she was expecting. So that's in reference to the media questions on the types of weapons used. The lack of context provided, in Commissioner Lucky. I don't. I can't uh, comment
3: on 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 the context of that. I wasn't aware of it, and I have no knowledge of what Commissioner was referring to.
4: It seems that your deputy minister and your chief of staff were fully aware of the expectation of Commissioner Lucky of that press conference. To the deputy minister, were you aware of the context of this email because it was not listed in the email and it was written that you would have been aware?
3: I'm, i i have to no the idea what. Deputy Minister, ex- please. I'm so, I'm so, Thank oh, you.
4: Were you aware of the context of, her, of the email?
3: Not in the sense that you are posing the question. I was aware that the Commissioner expected there to be full disclosure of what, was, what had the RCMP knew for that, the sake of the public.
4: Yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm asking. So you were aware of the context of the email, the context of the email being that the Commissioner's expectation of the April 28th press conference was that that information on the weapons would be released. So thank you for confirming that that you were aware and, of the context. Mr. Stanko, I mean, if I
3: may, that's, that's simply not correct. I, I don't believe there's anything in that email that makes reference to the, any information about I firearms. I just read
4: it again. So there is no context in this email, but Commissioner Lucky said in reference to the press conference that it was not the execution she was expecting. She then went on to provide comment uh, from media and Darren Campbell of uh, when he was asked about the weapons used. So I appreciate that you were aware of the context of that email, even though it was not listed, which would mean that you were aware of it earlier in the day. I would, I'd
0: I'd like to just make sure you're, you're clear yeah, on go my ahead. point here.
4: Uh,
3: my you've got 10 seconds. To, you've got 10 seconds to be clear. To the best of my recollection, the commissioner had provided some assurance. That the RCMP would you? provide the public with a full story of what had happened and what they knew—that was the what I use. understood. Thank
1: you, thank you. The time is up. So I hope I hope you could uh, put together what uh, Raquel, uh, Raquel Dancho just did there. She she nailed uh, the deputy minister, and his name is Rob Stewart. Uh, she nailed him to the wall. He was fully aware. He was fully aware of what uh, the emails that were going back and forth from Bill Blair's office. To uh, Brenda Lucky. Now we're gonna do this live. Um, I just found um, the full testimony of Brenda Lucky, so let's see what let's see what she had to say about this. Maybe this will contradict. In our in best case scenario, this contradicts, and then we've got <clears throat> reason to get uh, a full investigation into all of this, and and hopefully heads roll over it. So um, I'm going to I'm gonna kind of pre-screen this and see what I can find with this, and then I'll bring it to you.
2: Good afternoon, bonjour. I can't imagine what Nova Scotians went through during that 12-hour rampage and recognize that there's a lot of healing required to move forward. Each and every day my employees do the best they can with the circumstances that they're faced with, but of course we can always do better and that's why the Mass Casualty Commission was created, to provide meaningful recommendations to keep communities safe in the future. Thanks for the opportunity to speak on some of these important issues raised by this incident. Let me begin. And let me be clear, I did not interfere in the investigation around this tragedy. Permettez moi d'être clair let me be clear. I did not interfere in the inquiry on this massacre. Specifically, I was not directed to publicly release information about weapons used by the perpetrator to help advance pending gun control legislation. Was there pressure for information from the federal government about this incident? Yes.
1: Boom. Dead to rights, right from Brenda Lucky herself. Ho oh, ho ho, snap. Bill Blair and uh, Justin Idiot got problems, my friends. Let's see what else we can find in this testimony, shall we?
2: Was there pressure for information from the federal government about this incident? Yes. This wasn't surprising, as we were dealing with the biggest mass shooting incident in our country, and it was my responsibility to keep relevant officials apprised of the evolving situation while maintaining the integrity of the operation. Were the requests for information and updates political interference? No. And okay. So now she's going to run cover for it them. Was very conscious of this and has never sought <clears> to interfere <throat> in this investigation. a dans mes part avec le ministre.
1: So she she just she's talking double speak. She's talking out of both sides of her mouth here. She admits that there was political pressure, and then she runs cover for them, uh, being saying that this was the most uh, you know the biggest mass shooting that Canada's ever seen. Well, we know that, but the pressure was only to release the guns, which they pre-planned were specific guns that they could ban. So she, you can tell, you can you can just tell by reading her body language that she is, (laughs) oh, she's getting pulled. In, in a couple directions here. Let's, let's listen to some
2: more of her testimony here. Minister Blair was very aware of this and never sought to interfere in the investigation. DMP employees may have different perspectives based on the meeting of April 28th. However, I was the only RCMP official dealing with the minister, other senior government officials, and occasionally with the prime minister. And I'm the only one who can speak to the nature of these requests Exchanges of information and my intentions during that meeting. The integrity of police investigation is critical. As somebody with over 35 years of policing, that's something I would never seek to influence or jeopardize, nor would I allow RCMP investigations to be dictated or influenced by government officials. Yet they were. I am accountable to the minister from an administrative perspective, but the RCMP is operationally independent.
1: Or, or are they?
2: The basis huh. for this principle is to prevent direct and specific political control of police operational activity, with the sole responsibility for operational decision making resting in the hands of police officers. Keeping the government informed through timely and accurate information sharing is not interference. It's standard procedure. And these situational updates are provided without compromising the operational integrity of an investigation. I did provide information on April 23rd about the types of weapons found in the perpetrator's possession, information that was to be shared with the Minister and the Prime Minister, noting that it wasn't to be disseminated any further as there was an active investigation. Additional information was shared as well, but government officials were advised that any information Received couldn't be shared with the media until first released by the RCMP. This included such information as the number and names of the deceased, replica police uniforms and vehicle information, the incident at the fire hall, the background of the perpetrator, and the weapons used and seized. In the lead up to the Nova Scotia press conference scheduled for April 28th, I provided information to the government on what would be released. At that time, I was asked if the information about the weapons would be included. When my communications team told me that it would be, I relayed this information back to the Min- Minister Blair's Chief of Staff and the Deputy Minister of Public Safety. Regarding my use of the word promise during the meeting I had with my team following that press conference, at that time, and in that context, I was trying to convey that I had already confirmed to the minister that the information about the weapons would be released during the press conference, a confirmation made based on the information I had been provided.
1: Oh, man, she's stuttering. Due to a
2: miscommunication, this was not the case, and I felt I had misinformed the minister and, by extension, the prime minister. These were difficult, dynamic and demanding circumstances and everybody was doing their best to provide as much information to the government, to the public, to the media about this appalling event. These were difficult and dynamic circumstances. Everyone was doing their best to provide information to the government, to the public and to the media about this appalling event. This all took place just over a month after COVID-19 was degla- declared a global pandemic. The pandemic fundamentally changed how we managed this incident. The unfortunate reality is that the flow information flow from Nova Scotia colleagues into my office in the hours and days following the shooting wasn't what it should have been. It was for this reason I called the meeting, to express my disappointment and frustration and to outline expectations. Once I was informed during that meeting of the miscommunication and, the releasing, and that releasing the information would jeopardize the ongoing investigation, I considered the matter closed and did not pursue it further. This was clearly articulated back to the minister and in fact, to support my inser- assertion on non-interference this information was not released until several months later. On the matter of the April 28th meeting itself, it needed to happen. It was essential that I had more time and more timely and accurate information.
1: And- okay, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna skip ahead to when uh, Raquel starts uh, starts questioning her because uh, obviously she has, she's running cover here. You should see what she looks like uh, if you can watch this. Just take a look at what she looks like. Uh, she's so stressed out, you can you can just see it in her eyes. And she's lying. Um, if I, I'm not a body language expert, but if I had to guess, like just judging from her mannerisms, um, <clears throat> I should say, I, I, I think. My personal opinion is that she's covering up something. Not necessarily lying, just so I don't get myself in trouble. But she, she appears to be stressed to the max, and if you're any good at reading body language, it would appear that she is covering or not giving full truths here anyway let's uh let's get let's let's skip ahead here and uh let's see what recoil has to has to ask her here so in this round ms dancho you have six minutes take the floor
4: Uh, thank you mr chair thank you to the commissioner and deputy commissioner for being here today uh commissioner lucky in an april 28th email from you you said that you provided uh to government uh information that would be released to the public correct on what day? I uh, April 28th. There was several emails from you, I think two in particular.
2: <clears throat> yeah, there were several versions of speaking notes that were being used by the people on the ground in Nova Scotia. That was one of many versions. Okay, so in
4: uh, one email from you on April 28th, in one of the emails you confirmed the information about the weapons would be released in the press conference, correct? Yes. So that would have been early morning of April 28th.
2: Uh, I believe so. Okay. Thank
4: you. Uh, the Deputy Minister uh, Stewart, who just uh, came before you in committee, informed the committee earlier of a conversation uh, which uh, this promise that you mentioned in your opening remarks happened. It was a- during a discussion with the Minister. The Deputy Minister was not there, but he was aware of this discussion. Uh, you mentioned this in your opening remarks, correct?
2: Yeah, It wasn't a promise. It was a confirmation because I was asked if that information would be included in the media release. I verified through my comms people who verified with the people on the ground, and at that point they had advised that it was in fact going to be part of that big media event on April 28th.
4: Just to be clear, the minister asked you if the weapons used in the attack would be mentioned in the press release (coughs) or in the
2: press conference. Uh, He was speaking of the weapons in the incident, so that would mostly include the weapons um, seized because the weapons used were still under forensics. So it was more more involved with the weapons seized. Just to confirm, the
4: Deputy Minister, or the Minister of Public Safety at the time, Bill Blair, specifically asked you if weapons used during the attack would be mentioned in the press conference of April 28th.
2: Um, yeah, I would in the sense that it was any of the weapons involved in the incident. So some were seized and not used, and some were used. And you made a promise to him that that
4: information would be released on the
2: April 28th press conference, correct? I confirmed, in fact, that they were going to be part of the media event. So, Dan-
1: so it's <clears throat> it's coming down to wording here, friends. Um, you see what she's doing there? She's trying to slip away from that, uh, the promise statement, which is which is in an email. It's in an email. So I, the way this is shaping up, if you want my honest to God opinion, it's Brenda lucky that's going to be the fall guy here. But let's let's carry on listening to this.
4: Aaron Campbell's uh, account of the meeting that happened uh, that you had called following that press conference. Again, that meeting happened immediately or within two hours after, where he wrote in his notes that you had made a promise to Minister Blair that that information about the weapons would be released. He was accurate in your in this given um, what you're saying.
2: That's what he wrote. But it, when and I like I said in my notes. Um, in the context, the, the word promise that I used was in the context of confirming the answer to his question. But you used the word promise, correct? Um, I, don't rec- word. I don't recollect that. I may have. I'm not going to question um, Superintendent Campbell's recollection. But it was in the context of confirming the information uh, that was asked of me.
4: You said to the RCMP officials in that infamous uh, April 28th meeting that you promised Minister Blair that the information about the weapons would be be released, just in sum,
2: correct? I was referring to the confirmation of the question.
4: Mr. Campbell also uh, mentioned in his notes, as you're aware, that you tied that to the forthcoming gun uh, policy, correct?
2: It was when we were speaking of many different... um, Flow of information through the last ten days, there was a lot of issues with the flow of information. The weapons was just but one part of my frustration with and and why did the meeting was. Mr. Lucky,
4: did you, uh, as according to Darren Campbell's notes and the letter to you from Ms. Gallen from a year pr- later, uh, both of them said in their remarks that you you tied that promise to the forthcoming Liberal gun policy. No, uh, OIC, I, pardon me. Is that correct?
2: What I did uh, recall mentioning was that the reason why the weapons were so important and why they asked if they were going to be included was tied to the minister's mandate letter.
4: So you did connect the two. Correct? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, Ms. Gallen also mentioned that you said in the meeting that you were that there was pressure from Minister Blair on you. Is that correct?
2: No, I don't recall saying that. Oh, so man. she is
4: incorrect in what she wrote to you?
2: I cannot tell you if she's incorrect or not. That's her recollection.
4: So you did not feel pressure in that meeting when you spoke to Minister Blair and you promised him that you get that information released about the First back of, of all, you.
2: I didn't promise. Yes, that. you I did. confirmed the answer to his question. And second of all, in regards to um, your second part of the question, uh, there was a lot of pressure, and it wasn't just from the minister's office. It was from uh, the various uh, downtown offices. There was the most pressure was probably from the media, and there was a lot of pressure internally to get communications out because we had lost a member. So there was a lot of uh, communications. I was going in front of so the you media quite a bit.
4: So you confirmed to Minister Blair when he asked you if the weapons information would be released in that press conference. You confirmed yes, it would be, correct? Yes. And that's why you were—that's one of the reasons you were so angry with your deputies in Nova Scotia in that meeting, correct?
2: I wasn't angry. You weren't angry at all? At oh, all. Man. At all. I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. I felt let okay. down, but I wasn't
4: angry. Oh, oh and man. And Darren Campbell said that you DNA. specifically said you promised. You're saying maybe mm-hmm. I did, but I definitely said I. What I confirmed I, I, to the minister.
2: I may have said that, but it wasn't the okay. context in what... I, if Darren Campbell put that in his notes, I'm not going to question his notes. What I'm saying, though, is my intention was not—it wasn't a promise in the traditional sense. Oh, it was man. In, con- confirming uh, the additional question. Commissioner, uh,
4: April 23rd, you said that that information about the weapons use should not be released because it was involved in an active—it related to an active investigation. Why did you change your mind? Three days, four days later, to me it seems like this conversation with Minister Blair changed your mind.
2: No, not at all. It wasn't all about the investigation either. It was the fact the weapons, that. weapons, pardon me,
4: the weapons specifically. You said yeah. not to share it, and then four days no. later, five days later, you're reprimanding your deputies for not sharing no, it. No, but
2: it wasn't specifically about the mm-hmm. weapons, um, mm-hmm. whether to share or not to share. Uh, in that email, yes. But it was also about the protocol that they had in place on the ground, because nothing was to be released by anybody in government until the RCMP released in the media. 10 seconds, please, Commissioner. And Finish second,
1: your answer in 10 seconds. Did
2: please. the minister yep. influence, secondly, well, did the minister influence your, the your demeanor of
4: that meeting with your deputies? Did the minister influence your demeanor? Why no. no, you were so angry? He did not. No, he we didn't. Okay, we're out of time.
1: Thank you very much. Oh, you oh, I wish you could see the look on her face right at the end. You should see the look on her face when she answered no. It, it, it reminds you of a child that just got caught eating a cookie out of a cookie jar, like she's looking, she's looking at the at the table about two feet in front of her, and she's biting her lip for fuck's sakes. <laughs> so she's covering. If you if you want, this is just my take on what we just listened to. Brenda Lucky is actively covering for Bill Blair and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and she's going to be the fall guy. She's your Patsy. <clears throat> So this this whole rigmarole that we're watching where um, no, we didn't do it. Brenda Lucky saying, well, no, that's not what I said. It's coming down to definition, what she what she, what she meant by it, the context that it was used. Um, <clears throat> Ra- Raquel Dancho did a really good job in, in exposing that. It's, it's unfortunate they only have six minutes. Um, I guess just from a, a brief overview, being that we did this live, my personal opinion is Brenda Lucky is lying. <clears throat> Uh, just an opinion. I could be wrong. Just an opinion. But just judging from from her mannerisms and the way she's trying to uh, manipulate the, the definition or the context that specific words were used. I mean, these are... Let's just put it this way. Brenda Lucky wouldn't be a very good witness to put on the stand at a trial, would she? Because if you can make her run circles around definitions and, and, uh, and context that words were used... Uh, she, you you can make her look like a faulty witness, and that's exactly what uh, uh, Raquel Dancho just did. So when it comes to both these testimonies, Bill Blair did the exact same thing. He was stuttering and you know stumbling all over himself. Um, if if I had to guess, if I was a juror, if this was actually a trial, I would say both of them are, are guilty of collusion uh, of of some degree. Now what the, what that would what that would what that is uh, when you think of the context of this case. Uh, You've got the biggest mass shooting in Canada that uh, very well could have been an RCMP op. Uh, You've got uh, uh, an informant or an actual agent of the RCMP with um, uh, perfect uniforms and cars and uh, also has access to illegal weapons. They always leave that out. These weapons were, uh, were smuggled across the border from the U.S. They were illegal. It had nothing to do with legally attained firearms. So why the hell we banned... Uh, uh, regular, average Canadians from owning them when that doesn't—it doesn't even address the problem. But there's so much here that's being left out. But the reason I'm all over this, as you guys know, is, is they are fucking with our rights by doing this. And you've got two witnesses now that stood in front of this this uh, board, this hearing board today that looked like a pair of fucking retards. Realistically, like <clears throat> she. Bill Blair's like, well, I don't know have access. He's tripping all over himself and Brenda Lucky's biting her lip looking at two feet in front of her to saying that, no, 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 the definition's different. Like, I mean, come on. Come on. You are passing laws in a country based on this shit. You are stripping legal gun owners of their right to own firearms because of this and this is the top tier of the people that are involved in in those decisions. What the fuck are we even doing in this country? We don't we've got to get rid of this this whole system. <clears throat> it's disgusting to see this behavior out of our so-called best. Man. <clears throat> well, this has kind of been a fly by the seat of our pants show. Um I guess what we'll do is in the next one, we'll revisit the Action for Canada interview with Rocco Galati because that we, we really gotta stay on those lawsuits. Um, they're obviously crucial to our freedoms, just like this is. But um, you know, I guess in my honest to God opinion, this is just a dog and pony show. Like we're nothing's gonna come out of this. You might see the resignation of Brenda Lucky because of this, but then that's that then the liberals are just gonna pretend that's good enough, and it's not it's not there's so many un- unanswered questions with this there's families that deserve answers um <clears throat> we're never going to get the full story until until uh, upside down clown world writes itself but this this dog and pony show that we're watching where you've got uh members of parliament and and police commissioners that are are, that are acting like children when asked very direct specific questions is it's embarrassing it's embarrassing for the whole country let alone the families that have to watch this shit the families of victims from this put yourself in their shoes and 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 try to watch that testimony from that point of view to see this this freaking gong show that's the part that i find the most frustrating that it comes down to this to, to uh, a, a police commissioner, a RCMP commissioner, trying to evade questions by by going into context and 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 the definition that she meant of words, and then a um, a member of parliament that stutters all over himself uh, when asked if if you know this this basically the same line of questioning, um, he couldn't even answer what his deputy had seen or not, and then the deputy admits that he knew the context of the email. Like, from here, there's enough here. There is enough here, my friends, that this should be a full-on investigation. But who do you get to investigate it? You can't get the RCMP to investigate themselves. So who does it? If you want my opinion, it should be a a civilian uh, panel. A non-government civilian panel of... uh, um, Basically, non-biased, probably, uh, investigators. Now, they could be ex-RCMP, or military police would be the best way to go, if you want my opinion. I don't trust CSIS as far as I can throw them, or any intelligence uh, agencies for that matter, so why get them involved? But uh, I do still have trust for our military, so there's, you know, there'd be that option. But do you think we'll get that? I doubt it. Very frustrating. But like you guys heard me say, I, I think that Brenda Luckey probably going to have to submit her resignation. And then they're just going to pretend that that solved everything. Uh, which we really didn't get any answers at, at all out of this. But let's see how it plays out. Um, you've really got some good conservatives. And, uh, you know, I didn't play the Bloc Quebecois gal for you. But uh, there's, there's some tough questions being asked from the Bloc Quebecois as well. So they're doing a great job. But uh, <sighs> it's like any... Any hearing that you see within government, where you know, yes, you get some revelations, but it just doesn't ever seem to go anywhere. So I guess we'll we'll see. we'll We we'll just uh, we just won't put too much stock into this, and we'll see where it goes. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, we can see something come out of it. It'd be nice to see uh, some resignations of some members of parliament. Uh, maybe even a prime minister. It'd be nice if this spurred another election. <laughs> Not that we want to keep going through elections every damn year, but we got to do something with this corruption. Okay, my friends, like I said, we'll get to the Rocco Galati interview uh, in the next in the next episode. I guess that'll have to be it for this one. So, as always, if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, it's Canadian Patriot Radio. Use the message button for anything that you want to send my way. Um, the email is Radio at gmail.com. The telegram room is uh, CPR underscore, t- or excuse me, t.me backslash CPR underscore two. And uh, the website is canadianpatriotradio.ca. Thank you so much, my friends, for tuning in again. And until next time, in all thy sons command. joining us for another episode of canadian patriot radio cpr is not filmed before a live studio audience if you like the show friends make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms until next time take care